Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 24. Have you ever heard somebody described as being so heavenly minded they're no earthly good? So heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Have you heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay, most of you have. You kids, now you've heard it. So heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Now that phrase has a meaning and... It's, I've never liked it. And the reason I've never liked that phrase is because people who are no earthly good simply are not heavenly minded. There's nobody like that. There are people that that pretend to be heavenly minded and are no earthly good who are also no, not heavenly good. What am I trying to say? They're no, well, no, they're no earthly good, but they're also no good for heaven. They're not actually heavenly minded is my point, right? So we see a little bit of this in our passage today. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and he is exhorting them over and over again in this letter to rejoice, to celebrate, to have joy with him. And of of all the things, he's in jail. Paul's writing them this letter. He, He planted that church. He has great love and affection for them, great desire to see his work bear fruit in their lives that they would would grow and mature in the faith, that they would not be led astray. And so this morning, Paul begins to speak about Timothy. And this is fun because I preached through Timothy not too long ago. And... Timothy was Paul's traveling companion for some time. And while Paul is writing this letter, Timothy is with him. Not in jail, but in the city, same city as him. Possibly even in the same house with him, because Paul at times was uh, under house arrest. And Paul begins to compare Timothy to the rest of the men in gospel ministry in Rome, where he was currently in prison. Now we've seen some of the other men who are ministering in Rome mentioned before in this letter, and not in a flattering light. They don't sound real good. Paul isn't willing to condemn them or condemn their work, but he is unashamed of pointing out their uh, major flaws. Once again, we see that coming out in 
as we see Timothy compared to these other men, you might think he's not willing to condemn them. It sure sounds like a condemnation to me. And it's right there that we have to begin to realize that just because we live in a snowflake culture doesn't mean that the assumptions of a snowflake culture are accurate and true, right? So Paul, earlier in this very letter, has given thanks for the work that these men are doing that he now compares to Timothy. And what Paul says about the other men, what he said earlier is that they preach from selfish ambition. And here the same theme is brought forward again by Paul. As he compares Timothy to these other men, he says that Timothy is seeking after the interests of Christ. That he is truly heavenly minded is how I would describe it. Whereas the other men, again, preaching the gospel in Rome. What does he say about them? Well, Paul can't rely on them. Why? Because they are seeking after their own interests rather than the interests of Christ Jesus. So that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. We're going to be asking the question, what does it mean to seek your own interests versus the interests of Christ Jesus? So let's stand now as we read these few verses from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, as we've seen many times so far in this book, we, we can't lose track of the all-important fact that Paul loves the Philippians. I've said it already this morning. I've said it in many of the other sermons as we've been working our way through this letter. Paul has great love for the Philippians. And the place that you see that evidence primarily in this passage this morning, is in the simple fact that he is, he is willing to make a great sacrifice for the sake of the Philippians. What is that sacrifice? 
Kids, what, was, what, what is Paul willing to give up for the Philippians? Yeah, that's right. He's willing to give up Timothy. Paul is willing to send Timothy away from Rome to Philippi. Why? Because he loves the church at Philippi. That's why he's willing to send Timothy away. Now, what does that cost him to send Timothy away? We get a clue in the fact that he says that he has no one else of kindred spirit. I have no one else of kindred spirit. That's that's rough. I wouldn't want to send away the one other person who was a kindred spirit. Now, in this case, the kindred spirit is in having great concern for the church at Philippi, most specifically, right? But it's obvious that that's not all he means. He doesn't mean like, well, of all the great men that I've got with me, all the ones that are such kindred spirits to me who I'm working so closely with and who are so kind and loving to me while I'm in prison, of all of them, Timothy's the only one who really cares about the church at Philippi. You know, I got this other guy and he cares about the church at Ephesus and I got this guy and he cares about, I care about all of them and Timothy, you know, he's my kindred spirit in concern for the Philippians. No. How do we know that's not the case? Well, remember, the rest of the men in the city, earlier in the book, we, say, we see that they're preaching from selfish ambition, and he actually says, seeking to cause Paul pain in their preaching of the Lord Jesus. That is about as far from kindred spirit as you can get, isn't it? <laughs> Paul is willing to send the only man he trusts away to the Philippians because he wants them to be helped and cared for. And this is how Paul commends Timothy to the Philippians. He describes Timothy as being concerned for their welfare. Now we've got to keep the whole context of what we've studied up to this point in mind. That's why I keep going back and talking about how he's rejoicing, he's celebrating, he wants them to rejoice, uh, remind you of the love that he has, remind you of the fact that there's these other men who are preaching in the city but that are nasty to Paul. But there's something else that is just immediately prior to our passage what have we just gotten done studying? Well, in chapter 2, he starts off, if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And so we've been hitting this theme of selflessness and selfishness. We've been hitting up against the the necessity of humility that is like the humility of Jesus Christ. Have this attitude in yourself, which also existed in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Right? This is from the same letter. So now, having, having already reminded them of the necessity of them having true unity in the faith, of having already reminded them of the necessity of rejoicing even in suffering, having already reminded them of his love for them and his desire to see them persevere in the faith, and especially having reminded them of the necessity of them being humble, selfless, not seeking after their own desires, their own ambitions. He then holds up Timothy as an example. Kind of embarrassing to be Timothy, don't you think? But he's not doing anything to Timothy that he's not willing to do to himself. (laughs) He's holding himself up as a model. He's holding Timothy up as a model following in the footsteps of himself, following in the footsteps of the Lord. Have this attitude in yourself that it also existed in Christ Jesus, right? And then he, he begins to talk about himself and his own love for them and willingness to suffer for them. And then he begins to talk about how Timothy follows in his own footsteps. Served with him. Timothy served with him in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. If there's any way to describe a man as following in the footsteps of of another man, you couldn't do better than to describe it as the one was like a father to the other. And so here Paul is describing Timothy as serving right behind him like a son serving with his dad, wanting to accomplish the same thing, that unity of goal, of purpose, that was the gospel. It's the gospel that Paul is concerned about in that first chapter, saying, I don't care if they're trying to make me miserable. I don't care if they're trying to make me jealous. I don't care if they're being nasty. As long as the gospel's going forward, I rejoice. 
But Timothy, Timothy is not just helping the gospel forward uh, almost accidentally or, or in spite of his own selfishness and sinfulness in his actions. Timothy is following after Paul, united in vision, united in purpose, united in spirit, like a child following his own father. And so Paul has great concern and love for the Philippian church. And what do you know? So does Timothy. That's what a true son does. Boys, you hear me? If you want to be a true son, you love what your father loves. And you love who your father loves. Now, dads, you better watch out because that's what they do already. What are you loving? Who are you loving? That's what they're going to learn. Paul loves the gospel going forward. He loves the Philippians. And so what? Timothy does too. He's concerned for their welfare, just like Paul is. And he's willing to set aside his own concerns to serve them. To serve what? The church. Yes, the church at Philippi, but the church of Jesus Christ. Because that's what Paul loves. He loves Christ's bride, the church, because he is following in the footsteps of his heavenly father. He is loving what his father loves. Is there anything more beautiful than the thought that Christ loves his bride, the church? There's really nothing more beautiful than that. That's why marriage exists between man and woman here on earth. And what a wonderful, wonderful picture it gives us. It demonstrates to us how beautiful that relationship is. And so Paul, Paul loves the church. What did Jesus do? He gave himself up for her. And so what does Paul do? Follows in his footsteps. Gives himself up for her. And do you think that Timothy is excited to leave Paul in jail in in Rome where nobody else likes him? So that he can go to be with the Philippian church because they're struggling? Timothy is not going to be excited about that in his own earthly desires. He's not concerned for himself, though, is he? All the other people that are there, they are concerned for their own benefit. Their own welfare. Their own interests. And what are the interests? 
Well, Jesus talks about the interests that we have to give up in order to take hold of a united interest in his kingdom with him, to be united with him, right? He talks about what we have to give up. And what do we have to give up? Well, probably the most offensive one to many of us here is, unless a man gives up his father and his mother and his children, you can't have any part in Jesus Christ. All of our interests are given up for him so that we can have interest in his kingdom. You think of the parables that Jesus tells and he speaks of the kingdom of heaven. To have the kingdom of heaven is to have an interest in Christ's inheritance. It's to be what Timothy is being here. Not concerned with his own interests, but concerned with the interests of others. Concerned with the interests of the church. And so what does the man who desires to have the pearl? The kingdom of heaven is like a a great costly pearl, right? Think of a pearl and it's like, I think of a pearl that's this costly, this valuable, and it's gigantic. And I don't want to know what the oyster would look like that it would come from, right? But here, this giant pearl. And what does the man do who desires to have it? What interests does he keep? None. All of his other interests are gone in order to get that. He sells everything so that he can have the costly pearl, right? This is Paul's commendation of Timothy to the Philippians. holding him up as an example, speaking of his concern for their welfare, means that he is willing to set aside his own concerns in order to serve the church. Now, not everybody is called to be a pastor like Timothy or an apostle like Paul, let alone an apostle, right? But we are all a part of the family of God. If you desire the same thing as Jesus Christ, if you desire to be united with him, intent and one purpose, if your hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what this means is that you seek after his interests. And so here we could insert a whole sermon, of course, on the various gifts that people are given in the body of Christ. Some gifts of administration, some who are not like Paul Belcher, 
who has a gift of administration. <laughs> you see, some are given gifts of hospitality, and some are given, and, and each being a stone made, formed by Christ, building up what? His bride. And so if you are a stone that he is forming and he is placing, he is placing you for a purpose in his kingdom, for a purpose to his bride. We don't have time to go into that whole sermon. (laughs) Much less to describe all of the ways that you and your gifts are able to be used for the bride. But I want you to see that that is what's going on with Timothy serving the Philippian church by being willing to leave Paul. And do you think that sounds like fun for Paul? We already, we already just asked, does it sound fun for Timothy? Well, I guess I started there with Paul. Paul's willing to give Timothy up, right? If you are part of the family of God, then you have the same concerns as your heavenly Father. This is why we pray, your will be done. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because our will, our concerns, our interests become His. Well, there's two ways of understanding that. (laughs) It's an ambiguous wording that I just used. And what we're often tempted to think is, oh yeah, my interests become his. He's now so concerned about me and what I want. But that's exactly the opposite of what it means when we say, your will be done. It means, I've been changed. My concerns have been switched. My love has been turned to a new purpose, a new goal, a new theme in our life. Our our desires have been molded to His. Can you imagine being described like Paul describes Timothy? I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So when Timothy is concerned for the welfare of the church at Philippi, that means that he is seeking after the interests of Christ Jesus. You see that? He is seeking after the interests of Christ Jesus because that's the contrast. By having a concern for their welfare, he's put in contrast with everybody else. And everybody else is concerned with themselves rather than Christ and his interests. And then to be able to follow that up with this Sweet verse 22. 
but I don't need to tell you. You know what he's like. You know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. And not just that he served, but how did he serve? We've already been there. Like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. Now, here's the, here, I stopped before we get to the next verse, but let me, let me read on a little bit. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So what's happening here is Paul's written this letter, and he's sending it back by way of a man who he is also willing to commend greatly to them, but it's not really commending him to them, because unlike Timothy, Epaphroditus belongs to them. He's their messenger. He's the one who they sent to Paul. And so Paul writes this letter, sends it back with Epaphroditus, and we'll study that in the coming weeks. And one of the first things he says is, you know, yeah, I'm giving up Epaphroditus, but then as soon as I find out whether I'm going to live or die here, I'll send Timothy to you, and hopefully then I'll be able to come too. That's assuming that he doesn't get executed. That's why he says in verse 24, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But what if he, what if he doesn't? What if they keep him in jail for another 10 years? What if they execute him? What if he just can't make it there? Remember that he has to write to the church in Corinth and say, yeah, I, w- I was planning on coming. I- I'm sorry, I didn't come right away. I'm still planning on coming though, right? In the meantime, he sends the letter. He sends back Epaphroditus, who they love and who have, they've been worried about. And then he says, and as soon as I can, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And then I'm going to come if I can. Why all of these things? Well, because Paul loves that Philippian church. Now, do you love the church? The church, capital C, the church, the bride of Christ the universal church, all the saints. If you do, then you will be working for the church. You will be working for the the good of Christ's bride. You will be seeking to push his kingdom forward, right? But it's it's so much harder to love a particular church like the church at Philippi, than it is to love 
the universal church, which we never get to interact with in any real earthly, physical way, right? We just get to think happy thoughts about the future when all of those saints who make up the church are fully sanctified and in heaven with us, and we think, won't that be great? I love that idea. I must love them. (laughs) Yeah, I love them, all those sinless people who have never hurt me. Easy to love them, isn't it? A little bit harder to love a particular church filled with not yet fully sanctified people. A little bit harder to love a particular church that struggles with particular sins. A little bit more painful and risky to love a particular church, isn't it? You see this coming through in Paul's writing here. You see it throughout the whole letter. So that I will not have been found to run in vain, right? Or here, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Because what's going on? He loves them and he knows there's dangers, there's trials, there's temptations. He wants to see a good return on his work. Now this is where we all get to jump to the, oh, phew. I thought I was going to have to totally give up my concerns, but here Paul is, and he's concerned about himself here, isn't he? so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. He's concerned about himself, isn't he? He is, right? You're all looking at me like it's a trick question. He is. He's, He's concerned about himself. In what way? He's concerned about the work that he has done for the kingdom that he wants to see bearing good fruit. In other words, his own desires have been so molded to the desires of Christ Jesus, so shaped, so formed into that mold that he identifies them as his own. It's not just, you know, well, you know, I want Christ's will to be done in spite of the fact that I know it will be miserable for me. I want Christ's will to be done though It's going to be such hard, miserable, painful work. I will will give up all that is good and enjoyable and delightful in life so that... No. 
Not the way Paul talks, is it? He's filled with rejoicing all through this letter, even as he's in jail, which is admittedly quite miserable. Why? Well, because his goal is that the gospel would go forth. That gospel, that commission that Jesus gave to his church, when Paul sees that being accomplished, he rejoices. It's that simple. And so when he sees fruit in the Philippian church, if he hears, sends Timothy and hears back from Timothy, oh, they're, they're doing great. They're living by faith. They're rejoicing. They're united. Your letters done worked wonders, you know. <laughs> then what? Then Paul will be encouraged. Why? Well, the same reason that the father that receives back his son who was lost rejoices. When the prodigal son returns, the father rejoices, right? Paul is not like that older brother that refuses to rejoice and celebrate at the return. No, Paul is like, hey, the more people that repent, the better. I went out and found the one. Or the one coin was found, right? The nine were safe, but the one has been found. Let's celebrate. This is Paul's attitude to the work of Jesus Christ being accomplished. Even if it means him being in jail, as we've also seen, even if it means him dying. So, what we often want to do is we want to make uh, we want to make our desire for his will to be done into some sort of holy thing that we've done that we've that we've worked ourselves up to but Paul isn't thinking like that at all and the reason you can tell is because he doesn't see any conflict between saying that there's these men who are concerned about their own interests but I just desire to be encouraged. (laughs) And the reason he doesn't see that as a conflict is because for him to be encouraged is to see the gospel going forth with power. For him to be encouraged is to see the church built, strengthened, bearing fruit. For him to be encouraged is to see Christ's will being done. Because his, his interests are that Christ's interests are being served. Now, there is, there is such a thing as a false heavenly mindedness. Uh, a false uh, concern for the interests of Christ. Those who are preaching from selfish ambition don't really have the concerns of Christ at their heart, do they? The same with <clears throat> those who have uh, that attitude today of, well, you know, I just want God's will to be done, even though it's going to be like 
tearing out my fingernails to me. I want God's will to be done. I'm, I'm just, you know, that's my interest. My interest is Christ's interest being done. And it's like, no, it's not. That's not the attitude of someone whose interests are Christ's interests. You might be saying all kinds of true things, which is what Paul says about these guys, right? Preaching Jesus Christ. But that's not, at, at its heart, what your concern is. There's also false humility. There's a false concern for the welfare of a church. Think about somebody like Paul, maybe, say, uh, a great preacher, a super apostle. (laughs) And you think of Paul writing and, and saying, you know, some of you say you're of Paul and others of Apollos and others of Jesus Christ. And this is not in this letter, of course, but something that he writes and, and he's going, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> These are not factions in the church. But you think, of, you think of somebody who planted a church, like Paul planted plenty of churches, right? And expressing concern for the sake of that church. Well, it just so happens that I have planted another church besides this church, and I'm here now and not there. Okay? So, like, I kind of, I kind of have an insight into this. It's entirely possible for me to be concerned about the church in Indianapolis because I have the interests of Christ at heart. But it's also entirely possible for me to be concerned about that church because I don't want my pride to be hurt. Because I want to appear to be successful in the eyes of the world. Because I want to have the accolades of having succeeded. Right? Isn't that possible? I'm telling you, it's possible. I done did it. Got the t-shirt, right? I know the way that it's possible for us to have a false attitude, a false uh, presence displaying our concern for the interests of Christ. But we... We are to have our actual interests be those of Jesus Christ. Because it is only if that is the case that our work has any chance of accruing to our benefit in heaven. Now, again, (laughs) wait a minute. Doesn't that sound remarkably like being concerned about yourself? Well, yeah, it does. Until you realize that what Jesus Christ is building is his kingdom in heaven, 
beautifying it, beautifying her, right? And you think, hey, you know what? Some extra jewelry on that church would be good. (laughs) Does that sound crazy? It's not crazy. That's why Paul can say, so that I can be encouraged. My interests are in Jesus Christ, so I can be encouraged. It's the same as looking to the reward in heaven. Christ's will being done. His bride being glorified together with him. Right? That's a beautiful thing. All of you have been given gifts. All of you have been given tasks. All of you have been given responsibility. Not many are called to be pastors. But all of you are given work to do for his kingdom. Now, what are you looking out for? Your interests? or his interests. Let's pray.